In part two of our series on the Moores murders, we'll follow Ian Brady and Myra Hindley as they continue abducting and killing minors. We'll also talk about the outside help they recruited and how that came back to bite them in the ass. Finally, we'll discuss their arrests, trials, and end of their lives. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought last week's show was good, stick around, because there's more, much mores. This is Necronomapod. Hindley, who said that she had a sore throat, gave her evidence in a low, husky voice. She said that she had loved Brady and still loved him. When she was cross-examined about her part in the nude photographing session with the child, Leslie Ann Downey, she said, I offer no defense for that. It was indefensible and cruel. She said she didn't know that Brady was tape recording the session and that she was ashamed when she heard the tape played later. These were three calculated, cruel and cold-blooded murders, was what Mr. Justice Fenton Atkinson said, and the, I passed the only sense of law alive. After sentences, he praised the police investigation of the utmost skill and thoroughness which brought these matters to light. All right, back for uh, the second part of the truly feel-good story of the year, right? I think so. <laughs> feel some. We've been on a roll lately. Yeah, we certainly have. Murder-centric, you mean? Three yeah. weeks of Dean Coral, two weeks of Boys on the Tracks, two weeks on the Moors murders. Yeah. We split them up a little bit, didn't we? Did the poltergeist and uh, abduction. I forgot Mrs. Hildebrand was in the in the middle of all this murder. I forgot about that. <laughs> Which episode was that? That was the Poltergeist um, one. Hello, Mike. This is uh, <laughs> Mrs. Hildebrand. <laughs> that lady? Yeah, I love her. <laughs> I would say new t-shirt, but Amazon doesn't let us do that anymore. So That's unbelievable. No, we can't sell our own stuff anymore. <laughs> right. Everybody ripped us off. Yeah. That, for all that, this that time. They were fine with. Yeah. You can Google Necronomapod, and there are thousands of places selling our shit, yet Amazon trying to cock block us. Yeah, we can't even sell our own stuff anymore. I mean, we can technically. We're still selling it. We just can't upload anything new. Yeah, that's true. So still go buy. You can still buy from the Amazon shop. We're still, you know, the money still comes to us. We're just having some a snafu, if you will. We got some new designs we're trying to, to update. Yeah. We got a new store, though, coming out. We're going to have to say goodbye to Amazon shortly. Yeah, probably. I don't even remember what designs we had. It's been so long <laughs> since we tried uploading stuff. Yes, yeah, it's been going on for a minute. Two months. <laughs> it's it's something you can clear in fifteen seconds. I don't, I don't understand. What the They've been is. sent all the necessary paperwork. It's really odd. And every once in a while, you'll get. I see an email pop up. It'll say, "Oh, we're working to resolve yeah. this." Like, are, are you really? Yeah. Hmm. What are you doing to resolve this? What work have you put in? <laughs> Mike's uh, drinking red wine over here, and as you've obviously heard on past shows, with the Ice spilling and the beer spilling. I'm just waiting for this red wine to. No, I got it out of the way. I did lose the cork though, so <laughs> I'm keeping that one a little bit further away. Got some wine tonight. Why not? It's Wine Wednesday as we record. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, very fancy. Probably not going to make that a weekly thing, but every now and then. Got my cab, the Federalist. Ooh, it's not that fancy. It's, it's not that fancy, pal. <laughs> It's like drug mark specialty over here, <laughs> but it's all right. I cannot get for people that drink wine. I have not found a wine that I thought is too dry. Like it can't get dry enough for me. Hmm. And I can't find like an IPA 
that is too hoppy for me. Mm. I just like those really strong kind of bitter tastes. That is what it is. I like a red blend. I don't really care for I'll drink a too blend. Dry. I'll drink a you Merlot, know. but I like those dry cabs. Yeah. So that's what I got going on. Sounds like a fun life over there. Well, well, we'll see here in a little while. A lot happening. We'll see. I try to keep it together. I've made some wine nights here and no one's known. I think uh, I've heard from quite a few people that they love wine mic, right? We've had a few uh, wine mic nights in the past. Wine produced that pterodactyl sound. Uh-huh. Was that a wine go. night? Yeah. Was it? Exactly. Well, but I was also all hot and bothered by the paranormal erotica we were discussing at the time that's true so we'll see but patreon.com slash necronomapod yep it's all there so okay anything else we want to get to or you want to jump into this let's do it so where we left off on part one ian brady and myra hindley had taken their extremely toxic relationship to murder seemingly at the request of ian brady at this point they had killed a 16 year old teenage girl and a 12 year old boy both raped before their murders by Ian Brady and possibly Myra as well, if you believe Ian Brady. I don't know who to believe, quite frankly. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is definitely one of those things where the truth is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I agree. Seven months after the murder of John Kilbride on June 16, 1964, 12-year-old Keith Bennett was on his way to spend the night at his grandmother's house. This was Keith's routine every Tuesday. His grandmother's house was only a mile away, so he walked by himself. Keith's mother watched him over uh, the crossing onto Stockport Road, then left to go to Bingo in the opposite direction. When Keith didn't show up at his grandmother's house, she assumed that his mother had decided to not have him stay over that night. Keith's disappearance wasn't discovered until the next morning when his grandmother arrived at her daughter's house without Keith. Again, the police were called, and again, this there was a massive search conducted, and again, it was just like Keith vanished into thin air. They seemed to be pretty open with the kids. I, I'm going to assume it was probably a low-crime area they were operating in, or maybe not. And I think, just how things were. And I think there's something to be said with the times, mm-hmm. you know, 60s. No one's going to think yeah. that this is happening. They don't have the same kind of crime rates we have over here. That's true. We're too. used to stuff like that. I'm guessing it's slower, but maybe you know, maybe maybe it's not. I think it must be though, right? I would put Has money on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seven month break too seems like a long time. Seems not yeah. likely. Yeah, it does seem not likely. But we can talk about that later, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So on June 16th, when Keith was out of his mother's sight. Myra pulled up in her van and asked Keith if he would help her load some boxes into her van, and then she would drive him to his grandmother's. Keith hopped in the van to find Ian Brady sitting in the back. Again, with this whole missing glove shit, Ian and Myra led Keith to Saddleworth Moor, where Ian Brady left alone with Keith to look for that lost glove. About 30 minutes later, Ian came walking back to the van alone, carrying a shovel that he had hidden there beforehand. According to Myra, she asked Ian what happened, and Ian told her that he had raped and strangled the boy to death with a piece of string. Regarding this case and right after, two things happened. Keith's stepfather, Jimmy Johnson, had become a suspect. In the two years following Keith's disappearance, Jimmy Johnson was taken into questioning on four separate occasions. 
Police searched under the floorboard of the Johnson's house, and when they found out that the houses in this row were all connected, they extended the search and just started ripping up the floorboards mm. of the entire street. To be clear, this uh, Jimmy Johnson is not NASCAR great Jimmy Johnson or <laughs> Cowboys legend quarterback or uh, uh, coach Jimmy Johnson. Oh, to be clear, thanks for pointing it out. Yeah, was, well, it's spelled the same way as football Jimmy Johnson. I just wanted to be clear on that. I was a little confused. So I'm right. I'm sure I, most of the audience was too much. to clear so. that up. Sure. The second thing, a month after Ian and Myra killed Keith, Myra's sister, Maureen, got married to David Smith, who we talked about last week. Remember I said he was going to come up again. Mm-hmm. He was the 15-year-old dating Ian and Myra's first victim. The marriage was a quick one, uh, with none of the Hindley family attending. Maureen was already seven months pregnant at that point, so everyone was embarrassed. The day after they got married, David and Maureen moved into David's father's house, and the day after that, Ian Brady suggested that he and Myra and David and Maureen go out for a mini road trip. Ian and David hit it off. They had the same views on how money should be spread out in society, um, social views, and they kind of spent that day daydreaming about robbing a bank. And they were aware of the connection to him, right, with the, from their previous victim? Yes. Like they all knew each other. Right? Yeah. So they were commie wannabe bank robbers. Got it. <laughs> Who were also obsessed with fascists, right? Yeah, he was big, oh, yeah, big yeah, Hitler guy. Right. Right around this time, Myra's grandmother switched houses. She was living in like a government assistance type housing. So for some reason, her house, like her, where she could live was mm-hmm. moved to a different area. So when they moved, there ended up being an 11 year old girl named Patricia Hodges that they got close to Ian and Myra so close that they took her out to the moors with them on several occasions to, um, to dig up Pete which I guess Pete like helps your fucking plants grow or something. Like Pete Moss. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they were out there. They would take this girl out there and dig Pete and come back to come back to Myra's grandmother's house. And they never hurt this girl for some reason. Mm. Not sure why, what the deal was with that. Mm. Interesting. What do they call the projects over there? Council estates. I guess what they call them, right? That council housing, right. council I'm not estates. Sure. That sounds about right. Trying to show off some British knowledge. It's probably, it's probably wrong. It's probably completely wrong. It sounds okay, though. It yeah, sure. sound phony. Most people won't look it up, so I'll get one over if it's wrong. The more you talk about it, the more you can make it a <laughs> yeah. thing. You would have just no-sold it and went on. You wouldn't be your pal. On December 26th, 1964, which was Boxing Day, um, and from my very limited understanding of this day, that it used to be a day to give out gifts to uh, to the poor, but then now it's changed into like this day after Christmas shopping day, like mm. almost like a Black Friday type deal. Mm. I think it could be very off on that. I don't know. Do you know why they originally called it Boxing Day? I don't. The day after Christmas, the Virgin Mary's box <laughs> looked like it had went fifteen <laughs> rounds with Ali after <laughs> Super Jesus popped out of it. <laughs> Was, was Jesus a really big baby or something? It's the son of God. Of course he was. He was like 24 pounds. <laughs> That's right. Like that. It's in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> On that day, 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey had gone with her two brothers and some of their friends to a local fair. The kids weren't there long because they blew through their money super fast. All the kids went home, but Leslie decided to stay behind by herself. 
A classmate of hers saw her standing alone at 5.15 p.m., which would have been the last time that anyone saw her alive. When Leslie failed to show up for dinner, her mother Anne and uh, Anne's fiancé, Alan, went out looking for Leslie. They called the police, and a massive search was conducted. This one was really big, like around a 1,000 people Mm. who attended the fair were tracked down and questioned. Um, Not like grilled extensively, but just like, did you see this girl there mm-hmm. that night? You know, mm-hmm. um, but it produced no leads. Aside from one of her classmates seeing Leslie standing alone by one of the carnival rides, Ian Brady and Myra Henley did as well. They approached Leslie and deliberately dropped some shopping bags in front of her, then asked her for help carrying the bags to their car. Then at that point, Ian and Myra got bolder with their crimes. They took Leslie back to their house on Wardlebrook Avenue. At the house, Leslie was undressed, gagged, and forcibly posed for photographs before being raped and killed, presumably strangled with a piece of string. Myra later said that she went to fill a bath for Leslie and found her dead when she came back into the room, and Ian Brady claimed that Myra killed her. She does always conveniently have a story about, oh, I just happened to be doing this. Mm. Like, initially, I kind of believed her, but it's, it's just... It's coincidental how she's just always out of the room. Mm -hmm. The next morning, Ian and Myra drove Leslie's body to Saddleworth Moor and buried her naked with her clothes piled at her feet in a shallow grave. We don't really know if Ian and Myra had any victims in between December 26th, 1964 and October 6th, 1965. What we do know is that on October 6th, 1965, Myra drove Ian to Manchester Central Railway Station to find another victim. Myra waited in the car while Ian went inside looking for a victim. And not too long after, Ian came walking back with 17-year-old Edward Evans. Ian introduced Edward to Myra as his sister, and together the three of them drove back to the house on Wardlebrook Avenue and drank some wine. Ian Brady later said that Edward was willing to leave the train station so easily because Edward believed he was going to be paid for a sexual encounter, as in Ian Brady would be paying him for sex. So they got a different story for every person. Help me carry the bags. I'll pay you for sex. And then it all ends up being this fucking glove is missing. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Somehow the glove always comes up. Glove. But I'm going to data mine this, these two episodes in a couple weeks, and it's going to be great for the soundboard. Right, and cut a bunch of stuff of like Ian talking about himself in third person. Like, what yes, was the first thing you said? I, I, I said I'm going to I'm going to go through the, these episodes and pull clips for the soundboard, okay. and it's going to be a lot of like Ian talking in the third person about himself. Ian went to find this. <laughs> What'd you do today, Ian? Well, Ian went to the <laughs> railway station <laughs> to find a boy. <laughs> What's even funnier is he made that exact same joke last week. Did I? Yeah. Yeah. Because then we talked about (laughs) Seinfeld. George is getting upset. Damn it. (laughs) Well, I'm still doing it. So then there should also be a soundbite of you making the same joke two weeks in a row. (laughs) At some point, Ian told Myra to go get her brother-in-law, David Smith. We talked about it earlier. Um, These two hit it off. And David Smith was kind of in awe of Ian Brady, like, I initially wrote, viewed him as a celebrity or something along those lines, but almost like godly, not celebrity, but godly. Like, like he worshiped just, him, like almost like a cult leader type. Yeah. Myra wasn't a fan of the relationship between Ian and David. One, she thought that it would jeopardize their serial killing. And two, she was jealous of their friendship. 
Yeah, if you're doing and uh, out doing this kind of stuff, you don't want to bring a third party in. I wouldn't no. like that either. And besides being like in awe of Ian Brady, David Smith has shown no nothing that would point to him being one or him wanting to be involved in this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He always talked about before how serial killers find each other. Like, how does Leonard uh, Lake and Charles Ng find each other and determine, oh, yeah, this guy would be up for the same kind of stuff as me. <laughs> yeah. Like, the normal person off the street, that's not necessarily going to happen. Right. I like, think Ian's making assumptions here. Yeah. Like, David Smith wanted to rob a bank or, like, thought that would be a cool idea. Yeah. He probably really wouldn't have robbed the bank, yeah. though. It was just, like, talk. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, we should do that one day. Right. And now when Ian said, he's like, oh, he's going to abduct and rape kids with me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> You know that plan of rob a bank? How about we murder a 10-year-old instead? What do you say, buddy? <laughs> Dave's like, wait, what plan to rob a bank? I was just agreeing with you in the conversation, man. So Myra got back to the house with David Smith and told him to wait outside for her signal, which she said would be her flashing a flashlight. When Myra signaled, David knocked on the door and Ian Brady answered. Ian asked David if he was there to pick up, quote, the miniature wine bottles and told him to wait in the kitchen. The fuck does that mean? No idea. It's like a code thing, something ah. between Myra and and Ian Brady because no one knows. And David Smith's probably like, the fuck is happening right now? Oh man. David Smith told the police, quote I waited about a minute or two, then suddenly I heard a hell of a scream. It sounded like a woman, really high pitched. Then the screams carried on, one after another, really loud. Then I heard Myra shout, Dave, help him. Very loud. When I ran in, I just stood inside the living room and I saw a young lad. He was lying with his head and shoulders on the couch and his legs were on the floor. He was facing upwards. Ian was standing over him, facing him, with his legs on either side of the young lad's legs. The lad was still screaming. Ian had a hatchet in his hand. He was holding it above his head and he hit the lad on the left side of his head with the hatchet. I heard the blow. It was a terrible hard blow. It sounded horrible. David then stood there in shock as he watched Ian strangle Edward with a cord. As he was strangling Edward, Ian twisted his ankle and Edward was too heavy to carry alone. So Ian had David help him wrap Edward's body in a plastic sheet and put it in the spare bedroom. Ian told David that he needed to come back the next morning to help with moving Edward's body. And Ian told David to bring his baby stroller to move the body oh man yikes huge leap of faith there a crazy leap of yeah. faith I, was ian a, did we talk about this last week what's what was uh ian's makeup was like he was a big guy or like a scrawny just average guy average guy yeah don't uh we talk about with a lot of these 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 serial killer ones when they want to recruit someone like this they usually like test them first like put them in a situation but they're prepared to kill that person if they need to if like if they don't go along with it Right. Like didn't we've talked about like that with, with Dean one, Coral or, but there was somebody who like brought his friend out into the woods. It might've been Leonard Lake. Oh, that was Pee Wee Gaskin. Was it, he brought his friend out into the woods, like, like to yeah. test him and, and, mm. and bring him in. He like, like this dug the grave. He killed that dude's wife and then dug the grave. Oh, and that's stuff. right. Yeah. 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 Like it just, I feel like they usually do things like that to like, to cover to, yourself. Yeah. To, and to make sure like, okay, yeah. this will be fine. There's none of that here. <laughs> No, he just assumed David Smith was going to be cool with this. Yeah. Oh, he's down. He's good. He said he'd rob a bank with me. So. <laughs> David Smith got home around 3 a.m. and asked his wife, Maureen, to make him a cup of tea. 
David sat there shaking, drank the cup of tea, vomited everywhere, and then told Maureen what he had just witnessed, which I can't even imagine the shock you would be in. Yeah, exactly. Like, I was really trying to picture, like, this guy is just holding this cup of tea, shaking, just throws it all up because mm. you just watched your fucking brother-in-law or whatever yeah. kill a guy. He should have had a crumpet, too, right? I mean... Yeah, what's a crumpet? He wouldn't have kept it down, though, clearly. <laughs> what's a crumpet? Is it like a little roll? Like some sort of pastry, right? Like a pastry biscuit type thing some you have with tea? Biscuit. I'm going to look it up. I wonder if it's like a scone. <laughs> <laughs> Spot a tea in a crumpet. Yeah, it looks like a little... It's a small griddle bread made from an unsweetened batter of water or milk, flour, and yeast. Hmm. Looks like you can put jam on it if yep, you... Jam. Should choose. That'd be all right. Probably something good to dip in tea, yeah. I guess. Yeah. All right. Let's get some crumpets. We'll DoorDash them next time. Ah, oh, man, I want an English muffin. We were talking about that off air earlier, and I can't stop about <laughs> English muffins. I love a good English muffin. English muff or English muffin? Both. Okay. But right now I want a muffin. Okay. Let's not be confused. <laughs> a good, good one either way. Lathered up, wet, a little sweet. I'll take both. At <laughs> the same time, even. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I just hope she doesn't get offended when I start paying more attention to that English muffin because they're delightful. They're just so good. What's funny is as a kid, I hated English muffins. I thought they were mm. so gross. Yeah, I've always liked them. Or the raisin round ones, too, with the raisins in there. Those are okay. I like those, too. Yeah. Like, I'm not a fan of, like, uh, like raisin bagels or, or mm. raisin English muffins. I'll eat them, but. So after he told Maureen what had happened at 6 10 a.m david left his house armed with a screwdriver and a butter knife in case ian brady approached him because he thought like this dude might be waiting outside sure. like regret letting me see this and fucking kill me i 100 percent would have thought that yeah and at that point david made his way to a payphone he called the police and they picked him up and took him to the hyde police station where he told police everything that he had seen the night before, which is kind of refreshing in a serial killer story. A lot of times people just look the other way. And, yeah. And they're like, yeah. I don't know what happened here. Yeah. That was good on this guy. Yeah. I didn't actually know those pay phones in London worked. I thought they were just a portal to the ministry of magic. Yeah. I, I didn't think you could actually make phone calls. <laughs> oh, I love James Bond. That's good stuff. Now a word from our sponsor, better help. You ever have one of those days where you couldn't wait to get to sleep at night, but as soon as you put your head down, all your problems come racing back into your mind, keeping you up, tossing and turning all night? Yeah, it happens to a lot of us. It seems we all tend to focus more on our problems instead of focusing on solutions to these problems. How do you think your life could change if you had a different mindset on problems, focusing more on solving them as opposed to stressing about them day in and day out? It can be tough to train your brain to stay in problem-solving mode, especially when faced with challenges in life. But when you can learn to find your own solutions, there's no better feeling. Working with a therapist can help you become a better problem-solver, making it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small they are. Your mental health should be taken seriously. Nothing can cripple your day or stunt your motivation more than feeling depressed, anxious, or sad. We all have a lot of problems to deal with in our daily lives, be it the struggles of work, raising a family, or even paying bills. Focusing more on problem solving can help improve your mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. 
If you've been on the fence about trying therapy, BetterHelp is a great option for you. It's convenient, affordable, and entirely online. After filling out just a brief survey, you'll get matched with a therapist, and you'll be able to switch therapists anytime you want. When you want to be a better problem solver, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Necro today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp.com Necro. And thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's podcast. Bob Talbot of the Sally Bridge Police went to Ian and Myra's house wearing a bread delivery man's outfit. Talbot asked Myra if her husband or boyfriend was home, and when Myra said that she was single, Talbot identified himself as the police. A Bobby, if you will, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. <laughs> that term still used? I don't know. I don't know. It's an old-timey term, no? They're still called Mounties up in Canada. Why can't they still be Bobbies? Yeah. Myra led him into the house where Ian Brady was lying on the couch, writing a letter to his boss about his ankle injury. Talbot said that he was investigating a crime, quote, involving guns from the night before, to which Myra said that nothing like that happened, and she allowed Talbot to look around the house. Is that how they call in sick? They write a letter to their boss? When's it going to get there? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. Talbot tried to open the spare bedroom, but it was locked. And when he asked Myra for the key, she said that she had left it in her desk at work. Talbot offered to drive her there. And when she said no, Ian Brady interrupted and told Myra to just give Talbot the key. When Talbot came out of the room, he arrested Ian for suspicion of murder. And when Ian was getting dressed, he said, quote, Eddie and I had a row and the situation got out of hand. A row? Is that a, a, is that a tussle? Yeah. Is it a row? That word I've is heard row before. I think it's a row. That's a thing. Is a row, row. A tussle. <laughs> that word is row to me. I mean, it's spelled row. Yeah. yeah. So a, a row. We had a row. Eh. We had a row about. We're Americans. What do we know? Well, last week we said that we won the war, so we dictate how things are said. <laughs> I think we said just win a war every now and then and you yeah. dictate something. So Without our help. What was that uh, word? Uh, what was the, what was the word we were I don't that know. we said? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't either. Oh well. So is he implying that fisticuffs? The guy- they had fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. And he won clearly. Went a little too far. <laughs> <laughs> he hit himself with the axe and then auto erotic at himself. Yeah, I wonder if um, if Bob Talbot looked. He had to have looked at Edward's body and been like. <laughs> Yeah, this didn't happen in a fight. Half of his head's caved in, and there's ligature marks around his throat. Well, you get the medical examiner from Arkansas. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Don't make it work. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah. Fly Dr. Fami in. He'll tell you. This is fist fight. The guy's head punched in. (laughs) And his penis cut off in a fight. (laughs) They cut his penis off? I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I'm just saying shit. He'll make sense of it. Myra wasn't arrested but she demanded that she could go to jail with Ian and she brought her dog puppet with her. Since Myra came to the police station herself, they wanted to question her kind of like, well, since you're already here, since you're kind of forcing your way here, why don't you answer some questions? (laughs) Uh, But she refused to say anything other than Edward's death was an accident. Police had nothing to hold her on. And from the accounts, it sounded like they wanted her to get the fuck out of there. They told her that she couldn't just sit there with Ian Brady, so Myra went home. Lady, this isn't a coffee shop. You can't just sit here. <laughs> yeah. you get the fuck out. With your dog. Yeah. Which, did you see pictures of Puppet? 
I don't think so. Puppet is like a like a small border collie looking dog. Okay. Kind of. Puppet's really important to Myra Hindley. So you could say Myra is a master of puppet. Yeah. Not you sure. could say that. Dave. You could. <laughs> <laughs> One could do that if they were trying to make a joke. <laughs> Duly noted. Let's not get into a row here over this. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, but if you want to row. <laughs> Next thing you know, like, heave! Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Rowing down the polluted Cuyahoga River. The polluted Cuyahoga. It's what we're good at. Over the next four days, Myra pretty much begged to be laid off of work so she could get unemployment. On the fourth day of these trips into work, Myra found a sealed letter from Ian Brady that will never know what it said because she burned it. Myra said that she thought it was probably plans to rob a bank, so she didn't want to incriminate Ian. Then the next day on October 11th, 1965, Myra was charged with being an accessory to murder and taken to jail. It is odd it took four days. You know, a cop finds a dead body in your house. You would assume that both inhabitants are going to be going you would imagine, yeah, to get arrested. Right? Like you would arrest both that right yeah, there. yeah. Two questions. One, why? What is with this bank robbery? Why does it like you're already abducting and raping and killing people? Now you're going to go back to bank robbery? Like, mm. like that's a step down. Like a bucket list. Why do we they unrealize those plans? It seemed. It would appear so. Second, what was her plan with wanting to get laid off work and get unemployment so that she could just go visit him all the time? Like in in when he was locked up. Maybe I don't know what the deal with that is, but she just kept going in. And then we'd just fucking leave. That's weird. That is one way to get fired. (laughs) (laughs) With Ian and Myra in jail, police began to search their house. Pretty quick, they found a book with the name John Kilbride written in it, which was their first clue that Ian and Myra were responsible for the string of missing children. Smart. Regarding Edward Evans, Ian admitted to hitting him with an axe, but said that David Smith was actually the one who killed him and Myra only did what David had told her to do. David Smith, on the other hand, said that Ian Brady told him to bring anything incriminating to him on the day that he was supposed to help Ian move the body. David said that Ian was talking about hiding stuff in suitcases, and he didn't know anything further than that, but he did tell police that, quote, Brady had a thing about railway stations. And so you said Ian told David to bring anything incriminating to him on the day he was supposed to help Ian incriminating on David or incriminating on Ian, just incriminating on anything from that night with gotcha. Edward, Edward or uh, Edwards, Evan, Edward Evans, maybe like the clothes he was wearing. Yeah. And stuff, what like, else would stuff David like Smith that? have? Yeah. Let's see. Like he went back and picked up the hatchet and just left with it. <laughs> uh, Myra, you seen that hatchet around here anywhere? It's uh, <laughs> that damn David Smith. He took it again. <laughs> Police went to Manchester Central Railway Station on October 15th, and in the lost luggage, police found suitcases belonging to Ian Brady. Further corroborating that these suitcases belonged to Ian and Myra, police found the claim ticket from the train station in Myra's Bible. So it sounded like that they had um, like checked those luggage bags in, and it just like ran out of time. So they went to the lost. So it went to the lost and found. Yeah. yeah. Checked them in like they were going somewhere, or checked them in to hide stuff. I'm not sure. It was strange what the the things they were doing. 
it's not very planned out. No. Maybe they thought they could hide stuff just like they knew it would go to the lost and found. They're like, it'll sit there. No one would ever look mm. there. It's not in our house. Just, I mean, it's not the best idea, but maybe like that's that what they thought. day. You think when they did this and know. they knew like, they had opened themselves up? Yeah, I don't know. Or they just planned to get away and they didn't yeah. make it. Check your bags and then we'll just show up and get on and go. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, because it was several days later. Maybe it was a 24 hour hold or something like that. Yeah, because like when you don't check in to get on the train, then they're yeah. like, well, we're not going to send these. Yeah, okay. Inside one of the suitcases were a bunch of costumes, handwritten notes, photographs, and the negatives. Among those photographs were nine pictures of Leslie Ann Downey naked with a scarf tied across her mouth and a 16-minute audio recording of a girl saying her name was, quote, Leslie Ann Weston. On this tape, the girl can be heard screaming, crying, and begging to be let go so she could go see her mother, which Leslie Ann's mother later confirmed that was her daughter's voice on the tape. Oh, man. That would be awful. I feel like that's even worse than a video of something like that because your mind just wanders. Sure. Most of the other photographs were landscape ones of the Moors and pictures of Myra and her dog Puppet. Police brought in an animal specialist to examine Puppet to determine his age and to potentially date those photographs. Next, police went to talk to Patricia Hodges, the girl we talked about that they took out to the Moors all the time. Based on talking to Patricia Hodges and those pictures, police were able to start searching in the area that Patricia led them to on October 16th. And they found an arm bone protruding from the ground, which was presumed at first to be John Kilbride's, but the next day it was identified as belonging to Leslie Ann Downey. Then on October 21st, police found the badly decomposed body of John Kilbride. They were so sloppy that they left an arm bone sticking out of the ground, or is it maybe the makeup of the area shifted the body or something? There's definitely going to be some shifting going on, like dirt settling, but not that much. One, how long had it been since they last been out here? If they had been burying bodies out here regularly, or we said, what, last week, Mira would just randomly go out there to check on the graves. The first two victims, yeah, she went out to check on them. That's weird that it was just then sticking up. If If they were somewhat careful, or she was checking, at least for the first two. I don't know. This was almost a year since... They grabbed the Leslie girl. So, I mean, 10 months and that can happen. I don't know. Depending how it was buried, if it rained a lot and like the ground shifted or there was mud and dirt that moved. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. That's why you dig the hole six feet deep. I've got some good fellas. I know how it works. (laughs) You're not digging deep enough. You don't throw up at least once. That's right. (laughs) When shown the evidence of the audio recording, Ian Brady admitted to taking the pictures of Leslie Ann but said that she had been brought to the Wardle Brook Avenue house by two men who had taken her away again alive after the pictures were taken. So two guys randomly showed up, dropped her off. He's like, oh, I'll take some photos of this chick. Yeah. And then they're going to come pick her back up and leave. And he doesn't know what happened to her after that. Oh, okay, pal. By December 2nd, Ian Brady had been charged with the murders of John Kilbride, Leslie Ann Downey, and Edward Evans. Myra had been charged with the murders of Leslie Ann and Edward and being an accessory to the murder of John Kilbride. On April 27, 1966, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley were brought to trial at Chester Assizes, where they pled not guilty. 
They both spent most of the trial still trying to blame David Smith for everything, but ultimately Ian Brady was found guilty of the murders of Leslie Ann, John Kilbride, and Edward Evans. Myra Hindley was found guilty of the murders of Leslie Ann and Edward Evans, and she was also found guilty for being an accessory to the John Kilbride murder. They escaped the death penalty by only a couple of months um, because the Murder Act of 1965 had just come into effect four weeks before their arrest, which was, uh, they got rid of the death penalty over there. Okay. So when that went into effect, anybody who may have been on death row no longer was, or was there like a, like a period where it was like, as of now, if you're arrested, I wonder how that worked. As far as I read the prison we talked about last week where Ian Brady was as a kid, Mm -hmm. Um, they just completely stopped executions. So even if you're on death row, they're like, yeah. oh, by the way, like, so then what, do you have to go back to court to be resentenced? Does it just commute to like convert life? To life? Like yeah. I would imagine that's what it is. But like, if I was an attorney fighting for my, my client, I'd be like, Hey, can we get back to the sentence again then? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Look, their attorneys still wear powdered wigs. So things work a little <laughs> differently over there. That's why I'm asking these questions. <laughs> I want to know how this worked. <laughs> That wig shit is the weirdest. <laughs> I just, where did that come from? It's absurd. It's just bizarre. You guys want to start doing these shows in wigs? <laughs> do a wig. <laughs> I'll do a wig. Declan, get on wigs.com. <laughs> Thanks, Pally. Ian Brady's hold over Myra continued for the first few years of them being in prison. They constantly wrote to each other and requested permission to get married. The rift that developed between them was gradual, stemming mainly from their differing responses to being in prison. Ian Brady quickly accepted his sentence, his guilt, and settled to life in prison, while Myra continued to claim her innocence, saying that Ian Brady and David Smith were responsible for the murders. I like how they're just fucking burying David Smith just Mm -hmm. years after. Like, they will not get off of that. Nope. Well, it's their only out to convince people that's what happened. Immediately after her sentencing, she began the appeal process, but she was denied. Then in 1970, Myra broke off all contact with Ian, which was mainly based on the realization that she would never see him again. A little more than 10 years after her imprisonment, Myra began a campaign to get her freedom. Over the next two years, she wrote a 20,000-word document in which she portrayed herself as the innocent victim of Ian Brady's. She continued to stick to her original story that Ian Brady was the killer with David Smith being his accomplice. The document was submitted to the home office in order to get permission to make an application for parole. The then home secretary, Marilyn Rees, formed a committee of home office and parole board officials who determined that it would be another three years before Myra's application for parole could be heard. Myra's application for parole was delayed another three years in 1982 by the next Home Secretary, William Whitelaw. When her application was finally heard in 1985, it was rejected. Home Secretary Leon Britton announced that Myra's case would not be heard again for at least five years. I mean, it worked for Carla Homolka, right? At least try. Yeah, Canada was like, all right, you're good. <laughs> How long did she serve? Not, not, not that long. Right? Not long as she should have, for sure. Uh, that was, okay. Then the European Court of Human Rights rejection of Myra's calls for parole in 1986 
was kind of the final confirmation that her claim of no involvement in the murders wasn't going to work. At the end of 1986, a letter written by Keith Bennett's mother begging Myra to tell her what happened to her son gave Myra kind of a new set of tactics. Early in 1987, Myra was again making news with the public release of her full confession. She now admitted to both the knowledge of and involvement in all five murders, including those of Pauline Reed and Keith Bennett, although she continued to claim that she hadn't actually committed murder. Ian Brady's confession followed shortly after, but he didn't show any remorse for what he and Myra had done. Neither Myra or Ian were able to pinpoint the exact location of the bodies, but Pauline's body was finally located on July 1st, 1987. Um, She was identified by her pink dress that she was wearing for that dance back in the 60s. At the time of her confession, Myra's lawyer thought that her chances of parole were good based on her showing remorse, and he expected that she might get her release within another 10 years. However, in 1987, Home Secretary Michael Howard declared that Myra would never be released, along with 23 other prisoners, including Ian Brady, Peter Sutcliffe, and Dennis Nielsen. Which, Dennis Nielsen's a future episode, for sure. Yeah, I've seen that on our list. There was a whole legal battle with this decision, and on November 25th, 2002, the law lords agreed that judges, not politicians, should decide how long criminals spend behind bars and stripped Home Secretary of the power to set minimum sentences. However, 10 days earlier, on November 15th, 2002, Myra Henley died at 60 years old from pneumonia due to chain smoking for all of those years. Pity. Ian Brady, um, he ended up dying of lung disease on May 15th, 2017. His prison stay wasn't, there wasn't all that, you know, much to talk about as far as like the legalities of things. He kind of went a little, I don't know, I think it like really got to him. There were, he was reporting like auditory and visual hallucinations. Oh, really? Huh. Stuff like that. Um he complained about the conditions nonstop. He went on a hunger strike that lasted forever, which was closer to when he died. Okay. So they, they made sure to point out that that had nothing to do with his death. Like the hunger strike yeah. thing was never remorseful for that anything. That like did. It all, yeah. Just fully accepted it, said, I'm where I belong. I should never be out. I did what I did. He was right. Like we said earlier, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it positively ruled out this Dave guy's involvement. It, yeah, I mean, I don't. You never be a hundred percent sure, I guess. Things like this with everyone pointing fingers. I definitely think that Myra Henley actively participated in everything yeah. that went on here. Yeah. Probably, yeah. I, I I have no reason to think otherwise. I think all of her her remorse is all bullshit. I don't think there's any remorse there at all. Yeah, just trying to get out of prison. But what else are you gonna do? You're stuck in there, might as well try. You know, write a book. <laughs> you read literature. Better you, yourself as a human being. You read one book in prison, you've read more than Kanye, right? We covered that last week. <laughs> That's right. She did like the whole pity kind of thing, like, um, oh, you know, I am worse than I feel terrible because I'm worse than Ian Brady. I led the kids to him. I'm worse than he is. Mm. Like, we're like, well, you're not totally wrong. <laughs> yeah. But we're not falling for your bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Also, you could stay there. 
Yeah, Myra was always really more concerned about what was going to happen to Puppet. <laughs> like at the end of like during her trial and stuff, it was about a lot about that dog. Where did the dog go? Who took Puppet? Uh, mm. I got annoyed with it though. After a while, like shut the fuck up about yeah. your dog. Yeah, meanwhile you're killing kids. Yeah, but your fucking dog is the precious thing in the world. Should have gave puppet to one of the victim's families and they chop its head off in front of her. <laughs> Say it like that. That's that's certainly uh, an option. <laughs> just, just floating ideas. The dog didn't hurt anybody. It's not puppet's fault. Neither did the kids. All right. Any other final thoughts on this one? Total scumbags. Yeah. I don't know what any of that. All that. Uh, english law that i just talked about you're not a law lord well, the law lords. <laughs> yeah. or home secretary like there was a million home secretaries yeah, yeah, yeah i don't really know what that is that's okay yeah. you don't have to know you're not expected you can't know everything no like more fun stuff next week let's get away from this for a little bit we had we said at the top of the show we have a hell of an october yeah coming up in my opinion we had a hell of a september it's just you know some dark stuff the world we live in, Mike. We didn't make it. We just live in it. <laughs> Certainly not by choice. This is an experience we have here, this thing called life. <laughs> Anyways, we got some uh, patron shout outs. Thank you very much to Matthew, Brittany Croson, Wendy Flores, Meg, Michelle Bowser, Cameron Alspaw, Bradley Rowe, Rip fucking Wheeler, Barry McCockiner. I feel like I've read that one recently. Is that one of yours, Dave? No. Did you re- I think you, you came up with that one a while ago. Maybe. Someone might be ripping you off. Well, you know, it happens. Mm. Jordan Simpson, Aaron Cooper, Aaron Ariaga, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Beer, Tabitha Miller, Tyler Ortiz, Miss Renee, Stick a Fork in Me, Ruiz. Ruiz. Apologies, there's a lot of... Um, uh, fuck ups with the punctuation uh john merrick tanya schubert becky eat my dirty snatch <laughs> dean Carvel, all right wes anthony haynes jordan sesums gavin scott ben Alec, holly c kala heights daniel angelo reina tammy huff Colonel Cummins Snatch and wife Mrs. <laughs> Penis and her pooper. They have different last names. Hmm. Casey Ferguson, Rowdy Ward. Also, I have a second list here. Excuse me. Dark Blay, KS, Reynaldo Marrero, Allison Coulter, Sean Connor, Greta Vance, Hannah Hostetler, Cindy R., Flip, and Autumn Green. Thank you all very much. We're at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, what do you got? For iTunes, I have one for Kittens McTavish, Star Cofield, Amy Tyband, Dinsbot, Mike's Long Lost Child, Carly F, Drug Friendly, KDCL, 1111, Betty Hill Supplier, Cold. Roof right there, right? <laughs> Cole's Pub, Elucid Paradox, Necro Woodbooger, Trashier Than You, Wilco with a whole bunch of threes, Booyah, 9547, Hunter Pot, 
Kaylee Dang, Amazing May, Chris Gonza, 8, Jenny Della, 10917K, Lalila, 0602, Doug Zook, ST Lewis, 25, Selby Boss, DSE, 2385, Charlie O'Ma, looks like a whole bunch of letters, and 10-O. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. That's a lot. That's awesome. There there have been a lot of reviews lately. Well, that's all right. I'll take that. Dave, what do you got? I got some foreign reviews as well. Rosie Overall from Singapore. Daniel Griffin in Australia. Katie JR in New Zealand. Oberg in Australia. Close Your Blinds Australia from Australia. And Giga Bowser from Australia. And for our military shout-outs, Kara and Bryson May, Navy vet and an active duty Navy. So uh power couple in the Navy there. Thanks for your service, guys. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you listening. That's awesome. Good stuff. All right, anything else? Not one what? thing. Not a single thing. Not a single solitary thing to said. This bottle of wine's empty, by the way. <laughs> Did a good job. And wait, look, look at it. I contain myself like I'm very well behaved. I barely feel a thing. We had no doubt. Could drive cross country right now. You know, I blow up 0.00. <laughs> That's what men do. <laughs> we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube at Necronomapod, Amazon.com, search Necronomapod, Patreon.com, slash Necronomapod, and Necronomapod.com. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers. <laughs>